You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Hey there, church family. Uh, To all of our life groups watching virtually, to our families and those who are isolated, stuck in your homes, I'm John Ludovino, one of our downtown pastors, and I'm grateful for the chance to spend this time together unpacking God's word. I I miss the chance for all of us to be together uh, on Sundays. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at James 4 and some of the realities in the world that this pandemic is exposing. So two weeks ago, Adam talked about how the truth is none of us know what tomorrow will bring. And then last week, uh, Brandon and taught about how uh, our lives are missed. Everything that feels so solid, uh, including our very lives, are temporary. This morning, I want to shift our attention a bit from what this pandemic is exposing about reality in our world and to focus on what this pandemic is exposing about the reality in our hearts. We'll be unpacking 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. You read with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. No, you do not see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me hit a few things quickly before we focus most of our time in verse seven. Now, the first big idea that I love Peter unpacks here is we can rejoice even when we suffer. He says that we rejoice in the gospel despite the various trials that we're going through. And Peter here is writing to small churches in modern day Turkey. They're beginning to go through some persecution that's different than the trials that we're going through. But whatever the trials are, Peter starts with this beautiful gospel reminder where he says, in God's great mercy, based on nothing we have done, God has given us new birth, a living hope through Jesus's resurrection. In Christ, we have an inheritance kept in heaven that's not vulnerable to plagues or market collapse. Would anyone right now take a retirement account with zero risk? Yeah, great. That's exactly what Peter says we have in Jesus. And I love that in verse six, Peter says that we can rejoice in the gospel even when our circumstances are terrible. I also love that he throws in this little phrase in the middle of that verse where he says, for a little while. And for us, as this shutdown lingers on with no definite end in sight, uh, I would say it's already starting to feel a little bit long. And the truth is we're probably just in the beginning stages of this thing. It's probably going to feel longer and longer. But Peter reminds us, compared to an eternity with Jesus, this trial 
and really our entire lives on earth, even if every day of them was full of trial, would be nothing but a little while. Nothing but a little while compared to eternity with our Lord in joy and in glory. And there's tons of great stuff here to unpack, but I really just want us to focus on one thing in verse seven that Peter tells us God intends to do in us in the midst of our trials. Pick it back up with me at the end of verse six. He says, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. All right, hear me. What Peter's saying is that in the midst of our trials, God intends to refine our faith, to test it and make it more and more genuine. The same way, analogous to how gold is refined by fire. I did a tiny bit of research on this. The methods for refining gold are relatively unchanged over the past 4,000 years. They all involve intense heat and or some added chemicals before using more heat. Now we're talking about uh, high, high heat here, okay? So molten gold, when it's being refined, is brought to over 1,000 degrees Celsius. That is uh, 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which is in the hotter ranges that lava flows at. This is incredibly hot. And what happens at that temperature is that the impurities in the gold can't handle the heat like the genuine metal can. So the gold refiner can skim out and remove the burning impurities that rise up to the surface of the gold. That's exactly what Peter is saying God desires to do in us in the midst of our trials. See, suffering squeezes us. It puts pressure on us. And what happens when you squeeze an orange? What comes out? Kids, tell your parents, help them out. Orange juice, that's right. What happens when trials and suffering squeeze us? What comes out? Whatever's hidden deepest in our hearts and in our souls. Out of curiosity, uh, would you raise your hand right there in your home if you would say that patience and kindness and large perspective are coming easier as the days get longer and longer? That's exactly zero hands that I see raised. David Brooks, a columnist for the New York Times, was on NBC a few weeks ago when all of this started. He was talking about plagues throughout history. Uh, Listen to what he, he had found in his research. He says, I looked back and read about all the different pandemics over the centuries. You think people come together during a crisis. They do in some kinds of crisis. But in a pandemic, they fall apart. The reporting from every crisis from the last thousand years of this sort is that neighbors withdraw from neighbors, you get widened class divisions, out of fear you get a spirit of callousness. So in 1918, we lost 675,000 Americans to the flu and nobody wanted to talk about it afterwards. And that's because they were ashamed of how they behaved. So we need to take some moral steps to make ourselves decent neighbors to each other as we go through this thing. This is not only gonna be a health crisis, a financial crisis, how we treat each other is going to deteriorate and we're not going to like who we are about to become. Now now listen, there's a lot of nuance needed here, okay? I don't actually know if Mr. Brooks' prediction is going to bear out or not. 
honestly, so far, I've seen a lot of people doing a lot of good things, trying to fight to be good neighbors in the midst of this. Most of the bad that I've seen so far are arrogant people who don't want to have to abide by any restrictions on their freedom. Most of those people have been at Myrtle Beach, okay? But even if Mr. Brooks's prediction does come true, I don't know that the primary issue would be that people just start doing a lot of bad external things. I don't know if the concern would be kind of that apocalyptic Hollywood scene of looting and rioting and fires. Because the biblical definition of sin, what is truly the worst thing in us is not just bad things we do. The heart of sin is in our hearts. It's a matter of what we love and what we love most. It's the fact that we take created things, good things, bad things, neutral, indifferent things, and we treat them like they were God. We give them God's place in our lives. This is what the Bible calls idolatry, false worship, sacrificing our time, our energy, our money, our love, believing that created things can give us ultimate security, ultimate meaning, love, purpose, and hope. This is the deepest thing that God wants to refine out of us, like dross, like impurity being refined out of gold. So in another place in Isaiah 48, God through his prophet Isaiah tells his people that he is refining them like gold in the furnace of affliction because he will not yield his glory to another. See, suffering doesn't just squeeze us. When it squeezes us, it exposes our idols. Suffering exposes our idols. I'm gonna give you some examples. Some will be lighter, some will be heavier. Um, And there's really kind of two categories in the midst of this pandemic season. See, there are some idols that this pandemic season is exposing by taking them away from us. Uh, So if this season has been absolute hell on earth for you, if your anxiety is spiking through the roof, if you find yourself constantly worrying, washing your hands 10 times more than the CDC recommends and losing it because you can't make everyone else be as vigilant as you're being, then the season is exposing that what you have is an ultimate desire for control more than you have a desire for the God who is actually in control. A little bit lighter example, but if you have found yourself at any point thinking, if this college football season gets canceled, you know, I haven't actually heard anyone finish that sentence. I've just kind of heard them say that with this forlorn look of, of just sorrow on their face. Potentially, caring too much about sports at all right now in a season where real people's lives are at stake and we have an absolute lack of wisdom, would indicate uh, an idolatrous love of a form of entertainment. Another one that's being uh, taken away from us, if, if the fact that your bank accounts are a mess and your retirement has tanked is more than something for you to pray about and ask for wisdom as you move forward, if it's shaken your very foundation, then what is being exposed in us is a trust of money over a trust of God. 
If you're a parent and seeing your kids at home as only an inconvenience and not an opportunity to spend intentional time with them in this unique season, then what's being exposed might be that we idolize our homes, our houses as a place of peace and quiet instead of a training hub for God's kingdom. I think one of the, the biggest ones being exposed is our absolute love of freedom. People's inability to sacrifice personal freedoms to love our neighbors is absolutely being exposed in this pandemic. As, as one pastor and, and cultural studier, Mark Sayer said, a people who cannot imagine a life without the ability to do what we want, when we want, are spiritually compromised, and this pandemic is exposing that. Now on the flip side, there are some idols that the pandemic is not taking away from us, it's just increased our access to. So this would be true of comfort. If your ultimate goal in life is comfort and pleasure, then working from home with way less to do, you're kind of swimming in comfort right now. Escape through any kind of media entertainment outside of live sports has never been more accessible. I read one Nasdaq.com article that predicts Netflix will gain 7 million new subscribers in the midst of this. Food and other substances in, in uh, the same way. Isolation plus anxiety is tough for those who are, of us who are tempted to turn to food for comfort. I mean, the, the silly question of, should I risk exposure to this deadly disease in order to go get more double stuff Oreos is a serious question that I have asked myself in the wee hours of the night. They are essential, after all. I don't think it was an accident that in our Lent guide for this week, we were fasting from sweets and dessert and caffeine and coffee and alcohol. And one more um, that we might see a rise in is the category of sex. Because I oversee Kid Town, we are already preparing for the coronavirus baby boom that we anticipate will come in about nine to 10 months. In a more serious way, um, being isolated and anxious at home is giving people more access to pornography than they're normally used to. So the largest porn website in the world which unfortunately has no age restrictions on it whatsoever. It's a porn site called Pornhub. Uh, they've reported overall traffic increase of almost 20%. In Italy, one of the countries most affected by COVID, they, they peaked just under 60% increase. Because in a stressful season, we turn to our idols for comfort instead of turning to God. Now, now hear me right in all of this. The problem in all of this is not that we would enjoy good gifts from a good God. God is the God of all comfort, according to 1 Corinthians. God invented food and sex as good gifts for his children to enjoy by his design. Freedom and money and peace and quiet all have their right place in our lives. The problem is that in our sin nature, we take the good gifts of God and we make them ultimate. As Paul says in Romans 1, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship created things instead of the creator. And God loves us so much that he wants to fight against this in our lives. He wants to refine this false idolatrous love out of our hearts until the day we 
die. One of my favorite quotes about this comes from an author, J.I. Packer, who says, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both joy and sorrow to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach those hands to him. God in his infinite love and wisdom wants us to have more of himself and treasure him more than anything else. That's what he's after in every circumstance, the high and the low. He intends to detach our fingers from lesser things that are not worthy of our love or his glory and attach our fingers instead to himself. In this way, this weird awful, terrible pandemic season could actually be one of the best things for us. I have two just pastoral words here as we wrap up our time. The first one is this, God wants to crush our idols. He wants to crush them. He wants to destroy them. Now, some of you, uh, this talk may be one of the first time you've ever heard sin and idolatry taught about in this way. But for most of us in our church, this is not new. In one of our pastor meetings this week, we were actually talking about how we love that our people are equipped with this understanding. So as stuff is happening in this pandemic, we've been hearing from life group leaders and from members, man, this idol is getting exposed more. I'm really struggling with that. And I love that. But I have one concern in the midst of it. My concern is that if we're not careful, we could start to treat our idols almost like we treat personality tests. You know how when you meet someone, oh, oh, you're an eight on the Enneagram? Me too, I'm an eight too. And now we know these things about each other. And isn't that cool that we know ourselves so well, we could do the same thing with our idols if we're not careful. Oh, what's that? You, You struggle with approval idolatry? Me too. Isn't that neat how we know so much about ourselves? But when it comes to idols, God is not interested in us being interested in this topic because we get to know about ourselves more and be more true to our deepest self. God intends to crush these false gods who are his enemies. In confession, in our life groups, we should be wary of starting with, well, you guys know I deal with this idol as if that's an excuse for our behavior as opposed to thank God that he's exposing it more so that I can repent all the more and be set free from slavery to a God that's not worth my time or my energy. This is what Peter calls in verse nine, the salvation of our souls. That is what God is after and he will be fighting for that for the rest of our lives. My second thing for all of us is that we crush our idols by treasuring Jesus. The truth is we can't just get rid of our idols. What you end up doing is you end up switching one for another. It's what one pastor described. We kind of play whack-a-mole with our idols, right? When we think we've done with one, another one just pops out. You actually have to replace your idol with something better, something more worthy, something of greater treasure and value to you. And the only thing that really fits there is Jesus. Um, we've got to see and set our eyes on Jesus, who's the only one who is tempted in every way, yet was without sin. See, the truth is Jesus stared comfort idolatry in the face, and he said no. He gave up the majestic comfort of heaven to come to earth, live a servant's life that led him to a, a terrible criminal's death on the cross that we'll think on and meditate on and celebrate this week with Good Friday and then Easter. Satan literally tempts Jesus with all the power in the world. And Jesus says, no, 
He gives away his power to serve and rescue idol worshipers like us who are powerless to escape sin on our own. Jesus, who literally has deserved nothing but perfect approval and adoration and worship every day of his life, dies at the hands of mocking, jeering men to rescue us from our approval idolatry. You got to see Jesus, the perfect son of God who resisted every idol you cannot set yourself free from, dying in your place to set you free. When your eyes grasp that, you start to realize None of my idols could or would do this for me. Jesus alone. Jesus alone can give us the ultimate eternal comfort we long for, the approval that we've longed for every day of our lives, the self-control in the midst of wildly out of control circumstances and the power to lay our lives down to serve others. He actually gives us all of those things better than our idols can. But at the end of the day, that's not why we love him. We love him for him himself. We, we want to treasure him more than just the gifts that he gives to us. And the greatest way that God can love us is to do whatever it takes to convince us that he is our greatest treasure and the only one worthy of our worship because he knows anything else we treasure will ultimately fail us. So in this season, what idols is God exposing? Confess repent, ask him to use this time to put them to death as opposed to just complaining and grumbling that you don't have them the way that you want to. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that even in the midst of painful circumstances that you would use these to squeeze us, to press us, to refine us. God, I pray that as a church family during this time, we would be set more and more free from the idols that enslave us from the things that we're sacrificing and giving our lives to, and maybe we don't even see it, would you give us eyes to see? And as a community, would you lead us into faithful repentance to more and more freedom that we would be freed up to love you and to lay our lives down for your kingdom and for our neighbors. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.